Lord, thank you that you give us a different way. We, many of us, receive the thoughts, receive the feelings as the truth. And painful thoughts, difficult thoughts, challenging thoughts, and we don't know what to do with them. And so we just receive them and chew on them and meditate on them and hold on to them, nurture them, because we don't know what else to do. But instead, we want to hear what your word says, that we're going to, through your spirit, talk to our soul and tell it what you mean for it to do. And so we're here today to hear from your spirit. So I pray that you would make our hearts receptive to your word so that it falls like good seed on good soil and produces in our life fruit, fruit like joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer and all of God's people said, amen. I want to invite you to remain standing with me as we read the scriptures together. It's our practice. We stand together out of reverence for God's word. So if you're joining us online, so glad that you are. I want to invite you to stand with me as we read the scriptures together. This is from the book of James, starting a series today on the, the book of James in the New Testament. Here's the words of James, the brother of Jesus. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that our God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Well, I want to talk to you. Uh, we're starting a new series today on the book of James, and the title of the series is Faith That Works. And I want to talk to you today about uh, having a faith that works, but uh, I always feel like it's a good idea as your pastor just to routinely tell you where we are headed as a church. And so every series at the start of the series, I just want to remind you where we're headed. I've, I'm of the experience that uh, vision is uh, like a, a bucket that has a hole in it. And if you've ever had a bucket in the hole, with a hole in it and you've tried to water things in the garden, you know as soon as you fill it up, water's leaking out. And we're just like that as human beings. Things happen in our lives. And so we have to have the vision bucket refilled on the regular. And so I just want to always remind us of where we're headed because we're, we're about the purposes of Jesus. And so we're just, those, those don't change. And so we're just headed in that direction. We want to be the kind of church that actually helps people. Jesus' ministry helped people. Help them here, help them eternally. But we want to help people in, in every possible way that we can. We want to make your life better. We think following Jesus makes your life better. 
And so we want to have a captivating environment where you can come and, and experience the presence of God and hear the scriptures taught and you can be with God's people. We want you to be a part of a group where a few people know you and love you and you can uh, know and love them and you can serve our city together and serve our world together. And then we want you to find a place where you make regular impact on other people, where you serve, where you give back. And we want to do that so many times in so many people's lives that we impact 1% of Wichita. We think that'd be great. Uh, now, I have a few convictions it's just as a pastor and as a, as a leader um, that the church is supposed to grow. Uh, our community needs churches that are growing. Our community needs churches that are full of life and teaching God's word and connecting people to each other and serving. And so our community needs a place where people are growing, where you can go and you can find help. And, uh, it, you know, a church that doesn't want to grow, I've heard, uh, I heard one person say it, Pastor Rick Warren says it this way. He says, the church that decides they don't want to grow is essentially saying to their community, hey, you can go to hell. And we don't want to be that church. So we want to help you grow, and, and, um, and God intends for the church to grow. God intends for us to reach people and see their lives transformed and changed. And, and so we're just always going to be about those, those three things. I, I want to give that to you in a, in a way that I, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and I thought, you know, let's, is there a tandem, more tangible way we can describe that? And so I've got this, uh, this image of your hand. Can you just, if you have a hand, I hope you do. Sorry if you don't. <laughs> can you hold it up like this? Um, just so I'm going to give you these fingers, okay? So uh, here we go. I'm going to go fast, and then I'll, I'll back up. So you just do like this right here. Um, global mission, corporate worship, groups, compassion, the next generation. Let me, let me back into all those things, okay? I'm going to explain what I mean by all those things. Uh, we, we've been for, and I'm going to brag on you, for years, uh, Wichita First Church has embraced the mission of God around the globe and you have served and given and gone and taken trips and invested energy and time and relationship in places all over the world. There are people getting clean water today in Malawi, Africa, a country I was born in, one of the 10 poorest countries in the world. Literally, you're saving their life. I mean, in Africa, I don't know if you know all the stats on all of this, in Africa, uh, the, the leading cause of death is a child dying from diarrhea. It's like dirty water. And you've built multiple wells in Malawi, Africa that are impacting thousands of people. Literally, you're changing people's lives. Not only that, you're spreading the gospel around the world. We want to always be connected to our global mission because God's global. And then we want to have worship that points people to God. That's the point of this. The point is not for me to feel all warm and fuzzy or you to feel all warm and fuzzy, though that's great. It's to point people to God. And so we want to worship in a way that helps people connect with and points them to the God who made them and loves them. And then now, I know, you're, I know where you're going. You're like, well, that's the thumb, and that's the pointer finger. Mm. And uh, so can we go there in church for a second? Okay, I'm not going to say anything inappropriate here, but just stay with me. Why, why, why is that the, 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 the way we're talking about groups? Well, your life feels cursed when you're alone. It's painful. And we don't want that to happen for anybody. So we want to, and you've done that for years. You've had classes, and we're just building on all of that, where you've invested time and energy and meals and trips and parties, and, and, and it's that, you know, just giving people a family to belong to. And then compassion. We want to have compassion for our city. We want to be the kind of church that's known as the, the church that serves Wichita. It's in our name, Wichita First. 
No, we're put here by God to put the people in Wichita that God loves so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for their sins and rose again in power to give them a new life. Loves those people so much that we're going to serve them and love them in Jesus' name, even if they never agree with us. So we want to make, so that's your ring finger, right? We want to make, that's, you put a ring on and you wear a wedding ring because it's a covenant that you make. We want to make a covenant with our city that we're here to serve it and love it. And we want to do it in such a way that if we were to ever disappear, they would, the city would say, oh, no, 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 you can't. Not Wichita First Church. Oh, no, you're too important. We'd have to raise taxes if you went away. And so we're in the process of figuring out a few key partners, and we do some of that already, but we want to amp that up where we're just regularly, every week, we're sending people from groups and you're doing trips and projects for organizations in our city that already love our city and we're going to um, build partnerships and relationships. And um, so we want to just have compassion for our city. And then, then this is our vulnerable finger, right? And this is the next generation. And you've done that for years. You've loved students and invested in students and you've loved kids and invested in kids and and you're going to see the elementary area. We're, we're remodeling the elementary area upstairs, and we need to eventually remodel the pre-K area. And you've seen some of the things happen because you've invested in kids and students. You've invested in the next generation. And we want to continue to do that. Now, why am I giving you this hand? Why? Well, this is the hand that we want to extend to the world. Here's our hand. Would you take it? Because what's in our hand? Our, in our hand is the offer of helping you follow Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus. And so we're, so here's what I'm asking, okay? Because I know, I, I know, I know, I know the human heart because I've got one. I, I know you hear things like, one percent of Wichita, well, you, <laughs> if your heart is like my heart, would you extend the same hand? Could we do that together? I would just invite you to do that and and allow yourself to say, I want to have hope and vision for my local church. I want to have hope and vision for our tomorrow. I want to have hope and vision for the next generation. I want to be a hope dealer. You're dealing something. Why not deal hope? Be the person who carries hope for the future. You be that person. That's a leader's job. Some of you have been around this forever. You're a leader. Leaders carry hope. Carry hope for tomorrow. So I want you, we're going to extend that hand. You'll hear me talk about that. Where I'm just going to say the same thing over and over again until you get sick of it. Oh, here he goes with the hand, right? That's the hand we're extending to the world. Now, guys, I'm going to show those pictures at the end of the message. So those of you that know that. Well, James is going to help us get there. Uh, what, what the book of James does is the book of James uh, is, uh, it does behind the scenes heart work. It, it's kind of like, the foundation work. I, I, we lived in a place one time that was heavily, heavily wooded, and I was driving down the street one day, and I saw back through the trees, I saw some trees fall, and I was like, that's weird. And as I would drive past each day, then I would see just a little more trees would fall, then I would see heavy equipment back there and dirt being moved, and then all of a sudden I saw a sign go out front that said, this subdivision is coming soon, and and then it wasn't long before they'd knocked an entrance. And once they knocked the entrance through, I saw that they'd already paved the streets and they'd put down the curves and there were pipes sticking up all over the ground. They'd run all the electrical. They'd run all the infrastructure. It's the stuff that no, they've invested millions of dollars. It's the foundation. It's the stuff that nobody sees. And, and James is, is going to help us do the foundation work. Can help us uh, knock down the things that nobody sees and, and put down a solid foundation so something beautiful can come up from our life. Now, you got to understand who James is. James is the brother 
of Jesus, James uh, was one of many siblings. Maybe you didn't know that. Jesus was from a large family. So if you were in a large family, you're already Christ-like by virtue of Jesus' family. Uh, many, and, and understand, he wrote this letter in the New Testament, uh, the, the brother of Jesus. Listen, those of you that have a sibling, if you think your brother is the son of God after living with him, it must be true, right? <laughs> if you've lived with a, a sibling. And here you got James saying, yes, Jesus is who he says. Well, I grew up with the guy. And, and we're supposed to take Jesus seriously. So this is a book about taking Jesus seriously. And if you want to take Jesus seriously, I want you to be here through this whole series. Invite somebody to this series because we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus in a serious way. Now, I got to warn you. The book of James is uh, in, in biblical literature. There's different kinds of literature. Is what's known as a wisdom book and a prophetic book. Now, if you know anything about those types of literature in the scriptures, Wisdom books always call out our foolishness. Okay, so I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say, I'm willing to be a fool. (laughs) I'm willing to be a fool. And, And prophetic books, what they do is they hold the truth up to our face and force us to look at it. So I I want you to just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm willing to hear the truth. I'm willing to hear the truth. I'm willing to hear the truth. So this is a book of profound challenge. It's, uh, it, 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 it forces us to wrestle with what Jesus is actually saying to us because James is trying to tell us that following Jesus is an all or nothing proposition. Um, Andrea and I are celebrating 25 years of wedded bliss. Uh, we've had a few times that weren't wedded bliss, but yeah. It, not, well, not today. <laughs> uh, though I'll, I will receive all pies and cakes, as though it were. Um, in just a, a month or so, we're celebrating 25 years. And uh, I, I think, I'm thinking, you just t- give, me, give me your feedback, would you? I'm thinking about saying to her, now, honey, I've been faithful to you 100% for 25 years. I, I, I'm thinking, though, that I've put in my time, and I'm, I'm thinking that I'm just going to be 90% faithful to you from here on out. Is that okay with you? I mean, you get nine-tenths of me. I mean, really, come on. What, what's, what's your beef with the other 10%? I mean, come on, right? Do you feel like that's going to go well for me? I just need your feedback. Like someone said no already. Okay, thank you. Is that Dana? Yeah, okay, thank you, Dana. James is saying it's an all or nothing. You, you can't, many of us, when we follow Jesus, we, we give it, I, you know, you can have like 75% of me. We have this thing, uh, those of us that have been around this for a while, we tithe. We give a tenth of our income to the, the work of God through the local church. And, and, and sometimes we get to thinking that that's all God wants. But, and if that's the case, you know, we, we, in other areas of our life, we're like, well, maybe God just wants a portion. And, and that would change some things. I grew up on this song. I'm going to sing you it um, in a revised way that if this were the way we sang it, it would be like this. One-tenth to Jesus I surrender. One-tenth to him I freely give. Everybody on the chorus that knows the song. I surrender one-tenth. I surrender one-tenth. Right? And James is saying, listen, it's not it's not, any, it's not just a little bit you give. It's everything. Following Jesus means that you're going to surrender everything. We have a word in, that we use uh, in the New Testament. It, we've kind of missed the meaning of it that we, we say to talk about the reality that we're to give everything to God. And the word is 
to baptize. You know, we're going to have a baptism Sunday here, and if you've received Christ or never been baptized, we want you to be baptized. It'll be, you'll get some information in a few weeks about that. But the, it's actually a transliteration from the Greek, baptize, is from the Greek word baptizo. And you know what baptizo means? It means to immerse, to fully submit, to fully, uh, to fully go under. Because when you follow Jesus, you're saying everything is immersed in the reality now of God. My whole life, there's not anything I am holding back. But many of us hold things back. There's a story, I don't know if it's a legend, I don't know if it actually happened, but it illustrates the point. Um, it's been said that Constantine in the third century, he, became, he was the, the emperor who legalized Christianity in Rome. And, and uh, you know, hey, how do I become a Christian? Well, you got to be baptized. Okay, what's that mean? Well, it means you go in the water, and, you're, and then your whole life. But, okay, all right. So he had his soldiers go into the water, and according to the story, um, they went into the water. And I said, so that means like I, everything, is, everything that goes under is surrendered. Is that right? Yes, everything that goes under is surrendered. Okay, so when they went into the water, they unsheathed their swords, and they held them up, and they went under the water. That's what many of us do. I'm going to hold my wallet out. I'm going to hold my preferences out. Everything. And James is saying, listen, it, when, you, when it's everything, you get a faith that works. Now, I, I'm wanting you, I'm asking you over the course of this series to open yourself to the fact, as you hear these things, because it's going to challenge you, as you hear God's word, you need to understand that God's word predates you. It predates our moment. It predates our current cultural values. It predates our preferences. It is the word of God. And so when you hear God's word, it's meant to wake you up and to transform your heart so that you have a faith that works, that does in you what Jesus means for faith to do in you and through you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through a chapter a week. I'm going to very, very quickly try and walk you through um, um, James chapter 1. And then I've got some things I want us to focus on at the end. I want us to pray about and think about together. And um, James is telling us what our life is like when our faith is working. And there are four actions in the latter part of chapter 1 that James says, if we do these things, the result is, and his phrase is, that you will have a faultless religion. So let me give them to you, four things. Uh, it, it changes how we interact with people. James chapter 1, verse 19, James says this, that we're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, listen, quick to listen. That means that we're to listen more than we talk. Now, it is my experience in life and as I deal with people that most of us do not feel like we have anybody that really listens to us. And I don't mean just here's the words we say, but here's us. David Augsburg said it this way. He said, people uh, being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. When someone listens to you, if you've had that experience where they, you know they are not planning what they're going to say next, they're just listening. And then what happened? And how did that feel? What, what came after that? You walk away feeling so good. And James says we're to be quick to listen. And so that means we just got to learn to ask people about themselves. Yesterday, Scott Rainey was here. Scott Rainey leads one of, the, um, one of our denominational initiatives around discipleship and helping people grow. And he was here and he, was t he taught a fantastic seminar, invited some of you to be a part of it. 
um, on sharing your faith. And he's just so, so good. So, so good. We're going to have him here um, sometime in the next while to, to do that same thing for you. But he said, you know, one of the reasons that we don't share our faith is because we're afraid. And one of the reasons that we're afraid is because we're always thinking that we have to have all the answers. And so we're afraid someone's going to ask us a question we don't have the answer to. And he said, that really doesn't matter. He said, because uh, don't, he said like this, I wrote it down. He said, don't try to have all the answers. Instead, learn to ask good questions. Because people want to be listened to. So I, I think it's super helpful if you want to get good at this is that, and I want to get better at this, is that you have to have a few go-to questions kind of in your quiver that you pull out when you talk to people, when you meet someone new or you're just talking to someone. I've got a couple that I really like. Um, I, I'll say to someone, you know, like, hey, tell me your story. What's your story? And then you listen. It's open-ended. Another one I really like is, so hey, tell me, uh, what are you working on right now? Man, it's open-ended. Um, or you could do this. This is so powerful. How are you doing? You know, we say that to each other. Hey, how are you doing? Doing fine. How are you doing? And they walk right by. But if you pause and you say, how are you doing? And the person says, fine. And you pause them and you say, no, 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 no. I, I mean, how are you doing? It's powerful. Communicates love. We were talking about uh, greeting new people and Tom Tasker, who's not here today, um, he was, said, you know, there's, there's this acronym that, you know, I think it's called FORD. And I, I, we didn't have time to figure out what the, the you know, acronym stands for, so I made it up. I, I made these things up. So here you go. Uh, when you meet someone new around here or anywhere, th- these are four things that you can ask them about, okay, that'll help you because you might, so I don't know what to say. Uh, FORD, right? Family. Tell me about your family. Who's in your family? Uh, you could ask them, tell me about what you do, your occupation. Tell me about what you do about recreation. Like, what do you do for fun? And then tell me about distractions. Do you have any hobbies that you do? I mean, those are just things you can have in your quiver. You know, you can whip out at any time. Like, yeah, I want to ask you about those things forward. And then he says, we're going to be slow to speak, which I take to mean that we're to talk after we've listened. Now, if, if you're like me, you've got a lot of opinions, and you have a, a, a lot of thoughts, and you just want to tell people, and uh, if you're, you have a temperament like mine, you're just by nature a persuader, and so you're like, ah, you just kinda, that's just kind of how you operate, by temperament, and, and so I have to wrestle this to the ground. I have to, and I'm uh, through this series, I, I've said, Lord, I want to get better at listening. I want to be quicker to listen, and I want to be slower to speak. And then he says, slow to become angry. And he gives us a reason for it. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness or the righteous life that God desires. What, is, what does it mean to be righteous? It means to be rightly related to God, to other people, and to yourself. And James says, listen, if you want to be rightly related to God, uh, God other people, and yourself, anger is not the path to doing that. Now, I, I understand because I've done this we use anger because we think it gets us the result. I've done this as a dad, and I'm embarrassed. I've, I've done this as a husband. I've done, I, I don't like that. And, and I've used anger because I thought it would get me a result. Now, the, the reality is, is that anger does get us a result, but I want to suggest to you that what it does is it hurts the relationship, and so we kill the goose to get the golden egg, and you, we hurt our long-term result for a short-term response, and, and we hurt the relationship for the result. So he says, be slow to be, slow to be angry, be angry, because it's, just, it's, not gonna get, it's not a strategy that's going to work. 
And then he says, so get rid of all the moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted into you. The word there, moral filth, I, I think there, there are many things that are full of moral filth in our world and always have been. But I think two that are incredibly pre- prevalent in American society today are a porn and political division. In fact, people talk about political division and they use the phrase uh, rage porn. It's just filthy. It just makes your life painful. It says, instead, humbly receive the word and accept it. The word there is Jesus. Jesus can save you from that. So then he goes on and he says, he tells us about, um, it changes how we approach Jesus. So the first thing changes how we approach people. Then it changes how we approach Jesus when we have a faith that works. So he, he says it like this in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, this is the struggle of every parent raising a teenager. Can I get an amen? Because it's true. Because here's how it goes. You know. Hey, uh, I need you to do the dishes. Silence. <laughs> um, did you hear what I said? I said, you need to do the dishes. And, and then the response back will be something like, well, yeah, I heard you. And then every parent feels the angst. You're like, well, then why are you still sitting on the couch? What is, what is going on? What's going through that head of yours, right? Every parent, this is the struggle of every parent. Now, the word here for James, he's talking to a Jewish audience, so he's obviously referencing God's word, the Old Testament, but he's also referencing Jesus, the word. The word he uses there is the same word that John uses in his gospel when he tells us who started all of this. In John chapter 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word that's used there was a Greek principle of the idea that behind everything was this animating principle. And John says in his gospel, hey, you think there's an animating principle that guides everything that you see? I want to tell you that it's not an animating principle. It's an animated person, and his name is Jesus. That's who, that's who's behind everything. And so James is picking up on that, and he's saying, this is the word that we're to do. We're to put into practice what Jesus said to us. We're to do what Jesus says is best. So we take the Bible seriously. And then he gives us a warning. He says, anybody who listens to the word and does not do what it says, and then he gives us this picture. It's like you look in the mirror, and you walk away, and you forget what you look like. And and here's, here's what he's saying. You can hear what's true. You can come to a Sunday school class. You can sit in a small group. You can come and sit in a sanctuary, and you can hear what is true, and you can amen that it's true, and then you do nothing with it in your life. You don't put it into practice in any way, and you can walk out. The danger is you can walk out of that space and that room and that moment and think that just because you heard what was true and you agreed with what was true, that you've done the right thing because you just heard it. And John, James says, listen, when you do that, all you are doing, it's like you forget what you're like. In fact, the word, the phrase that he uses there in the original language means literally forgets the face of his genesis. In other words, you forget, you don't even understand what God made you to be in the first place. And so you can do all the things. You can know all the stuff. You can have all of the information and think you have a relationship with God. But if you 
Don't actually put it into practice. It doesn't impact your life in any real way. And you'll have looked, think you were looking in the mirror and then you've walked away and forgotten what you're supposed to be like. And, and you could have seen something that would change everything in your life, but because you didn't put it into practice, you completely forgot it when you walked out the door. And so then he goes on and he says, so whoever looks intently, the idea is you, you bend down, like you stoop down and you look into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So here's, here's James. He's giving us all these contrasts, and he's saying, listen, if you're just a hearer of the word, one translation says it, the hearer forgets, and so there's no lasting benefit. And if there is any lasting benefit, it's for something superficial like you got your hair fixed. But the doer acts on what they have heard in God's word. And instead of it being superficial, um, it, instead it changes them. And instead of just something like their hair being fixed, your life is fixed. So the hearer, you hear it and you feel good. The doer does it and becomes good. The hearer feels it and feels affirmed. The, hearer, uh, the doer does it and becomes firm. The hearer feels it and is appeased. The doer does it and becomes at peace. And the hearer, they, they have their opinions and their preferences baptized, and the doer is baptized into the way and mission of Jesus. It's a whole different way. It's a contrast. And, and James is saying, listen, if you, if you want the Word of God to make a difference to you, then you do it. If you want the Word of God to make a difference in you and be transformed by what you experience you do it. If you want to make a difference, if you want the Word of God to make a difference through you into other people and have an impact on other people, do it. I'm reticent to tell this. It's a real simple story, and I, I don't want it to make me look like something because I, I oftentimes fail at this. I was driving through the, the um, parking lot the other day. I was going through um, Starbucks. I know I told the Starbucks story last week, but um, this is not the same story. I do frequent the store. Um, I was pulling through, and, and as I was coming out, there was a guy, and he had a sign, and, you know, I'm homeless and need something to eat. And um, sometimes I drive. I drive past. And so I, was in, I stopped, and I said, hey, um, as I was pulling in, I went, hey, um, so do, do you want anything to eat? What's your, I said, what's your name? Robert. Hey, Robert. I said, would you like something to eat? I'll be happy to. I'm just going through. I'll get you something. He's like, yeah, I'll take anything. And I named a couple things on the menu. And he said, yeah, I'll take that. Said, okay. And you had to go through. And then you pull around and came around the other side. And there he went. And he was looking. He was like, where's that car? I know where I got that car. And I pulled up to him. And I, he's so grateful. He's like, this is a weekend. You know, it's a weekend. I think I'm going to make maybe like 30 bucks this weekend. It's good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I said, well, here you go, Robert. I, at least I'm sorry I can't give more. Here, here you go. He's like, thank you. God bless you. I said, hey, God bless you. And I pulled, I pulled out. Maybe you've had this experience. You, when, you, when you just put into practice, because Jesus said if someone asks you, you give, right? You, I put it into practice that moment, and I felt the impact. Now, he was impacted, on, but I felt it. It made a difference in me, and I went, I want to do that more. That's what James is saying. You hear it, you don't get that. You don't experience that. But when you put it into practice, then you realize what it means. In fact, I would tell you that obedience is the key to blessing. 
Like I could stand up here and tell you about forgiving people. And, and if, you, if you're just a hearer of that, you might feel irritated. You might feel guilty. You might feel confused. You might not know what to do. But when you forgive someone, guess what happens? You're set free. Or you might say, well, you know, you talk about repentance. And it's a word Jesus uses all the time about changing our life and thinking differently about our life in light of what God offers. And if you just hear that, you might be mad that someone's calling you out. Well, how dare you say that I have such and such an opinion? It's wrong. And uh, that was my foghorn leghorn voice there. Um, I, I don't know where that came from. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you hear it, right? You get mad. But when you do it, like a whole new world opens up to you. Like, I didn't know I could see the world this way. It's only in the doing of it that you get the change and the freedom. Because that's what James says. It's the perfect law that gives you freedom. That's, but you only get it. The blessing only comes to you when you obey it. And then this is the last thing. It changes how, we, um, it changes how our definition of religion. It also changes how we talk to people. I'm going to jump right past that in, in verse 26. Because James talks about that in, a, in a, another chapter. We'll come back to it in a few weeks. But it changes our definition of, of religion. Because here's how he says it. He says, The religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself being polluted by the world. He gives us two fruits of pure religion. And the first is how we treat the vulnerable. I don't have time to walk you through all of the scriptures, but over 2,000 times in the Bible, Old and New Testaments, uh, we are told that we're to care for the poor, the needy, and the vulnerable. It's just an inescapable thing if you read the scriptures. I, I, don't, I have some representative scriptures, don't have the time. I'll just give you a couple. Psalm 68, 5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. I'll give you Jeremiah chapter 22. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. That man did what was right and just. He defended the cause of the poor and needy. And so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? I could take you to Luke chapter 4 where Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in a drop the mic moment, uh, Jesus uh, says, goes on, Luke says, he, then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, my ministry is all about God's love for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable. Because an orphan and a widow in that context, and sometimes in our context, were people who could not pay you back. They were utterly alone with their needs. And that's 2,000 times. I mean, it's just very clear. If you don't treat the vulnerable, you don't care about the vulnerable, you don't have religion that God considers pure and faultless, just straight up. Then, but there's, there's two parts of it, two fruits. It's not only how you treat the vulnerable, it's how you treat your soul. Because he says, you know, care for the orphans and the widows, but it's also to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That is, you... You remove the blemishes. You remove the difficulty. You, you See, the Bible has a couple categories for our sin. One is the, the flesh, which is my choices and my sins, your choices and your sins. And, 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 and God provides forgiveness for the decisions that I make in the flesh. But then there's also the world, which is our collective sin. You sin and you sin and you sin, and together we set up something that benefits us and keeps someone else out. That's, that's, the Bible's talking about the system of the world, how it operates. 
And, and John picks up on this. He says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And so, so we, see, we tend to focus on one or two of those things. We say, well, okay, well, it's all about how you care for the poor and vulnerable. Yep. But some of us come over here and go, well, yeah, that sounds, that sounds too something. And it's all about keeping yourself personally pure. And the Bible doesn't have our myopia. It's like, no, it's not either or. It's both and. We're to love the people in the world without loving the system of the world. Now, it's super important that we would be hearers of the word. Yeah. But then we would hear it and then we would put it into practice. And, and James does give us some practical ways we can do that, but he's, he's, he's evoking for us everything that Jesus has said to us and said, now, now do it. So I want to I wanna, I wanna zero in on something. I want to focus in on one, one thing, and then I want to give it two expressions, and it's the work you and I need to do together. The, the one thing I want to focus in on is unity. Now, Jesus, in John chapter 17, he prayed what's known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's a prayer about Jesus, and, and here's the heart of it in John 17, 21. This is Jesus' recorded prayer. I pray that they, he's talking about all the disciples to come, you, me, Wichita First Church. I pray that they will all be What's the word? One. Just as you and I are one. That we'd be on the same page. As I look back over uh, the last several years, for me personally, last couple as your pastor, and then a couple years beyond that for you as a congregation, I realize there's been a lot of, been a lot. Uh, you've gone through pastoral transition, it's a hit. Staff, were let go, a hit. People left, a hit. Hurt. Then you got a new pastor, this guy, who's like not like any pastor you've probably had before. And you're like, what's this guy about? We've just kind of started to add some staff back. And then all of a sudden, we got hit with this global pandemic. Like, what in the world? Are we going to survive? What's going to happen? Another hit. Oh. Uh, and then we've lost all kinds of people that have literally died during COVID. During the assembly, there was a, one of the sessions, the district assembly, the last couple of days. There was a, a time when all the churches, the names of the folks who died during the last year or so of year plus of COVID were listed on the screen. And we got to the slide for us and I went, oh my gosh, that's a lot of people. Some of them pillars of our church. Some of you were at Kendemic's funeral yesterday, pillars. Hit. Now, we should expect to take hits, right? I mean, it's kind of like a naval ship. You expect they're going to take hits. I've got a picture here of the USS Cole uh, that was in a bombing and a close-up picture of the water flowing in. And, and you know, when, you, when you've taken hits like that, that, that naval destroyer, the captain doesn't take the hits and then say, uh, full steam ahead, let's go. You know, all the sailors are going to go, um, captain? We're going to sink if we don't pause and fix this. And so in a sense, we've, we've done some pausing. 
here's the USS Cole. They put it on a bigger ship to repair it. Picture of that. And, and when you're paused, you're not like momentum. And so you might be like, well, I've been around here for a while. And, and then you see other ships moving and you're like, well, why are they moving? Well, I didn't get the hits that we had. So here, why am I saying all this? Well, Jesus' prayer for us is that we would be one, you and I, as a church, as he and the Father are one. Like, there's no division. Like, moving in the same direction. My friend, Dr. Larry McCain, who uh, was the pastor of Andrea's very first church, he started that as a church plant, and he went on to plant many churches and start an organization that's helped plant hundreds of churches around North America. He's now a district superintendent in the Chicago area the Church of the Nazarenes, a friend of mine, wonderful, he's one of my favorite people. And he has this phrase, I just love it. He says, uh, for a church to move forward, there has to be what he calls agenda harmony. In other words, all, all the arrows have to be moving in the same direction. I don't know if you know this about, you know, if you're taking a trip, and if you're just a couple degrees off at the start of the trip, you don't notice it, but over time... And so we have to have agenda harmony as a church. We have to first agenda harmony around the mission of Jesus. Jesus, your mission precedes anything that I want. And I am, I am aligning my life with where you are headed 100%. I, have a, I want my life to be in agenda harmony. And then as a local church, we have to say, okay, wait, wait, wait. We got to have agenda harmony. We got to be moving in the same direction for the same reasons. And here's what I wonder over the last multiple years with all of those just. Oh, oh, oh. If we're going to be doers of God's word, and Jesus told us that the, the, the Christian life begins with repentance, which means that you change your mind based on what is available to you from God. You. You are, you'll make a change. You'll say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I see it differently now. Is there anything that has happened in the last four years or so for which you need to repent? Now, I'm, I'm not asking you, are there other people who need to repent of X, Y, or Z? Because we're great at naming other people's sins and saying they need to repent for that. I'm not asking, that's their business. I'm talking about you your words, in your actions, in your attitude, in your responses, is there anything that you need to repent of? Like, I'm, I'm changing my mind about it. I need to recognize, I did that, I did that wrong. I was wrong. It's okay to admit you're wrong. I hope you know that. And if you can't, you're just being a hearer of the word. You will get none of the benefit and power of God's word in your life from just going, yeah, repent. Other people need to do it, not me. Second, second thing, closely related, words of Jesus that were to forgive. In the last four years, is there anybody that you need to forgive still? You've been holding that over them. Maybe you've never said a word to them, but man, you give them the stink eye. Is there anybody you need to forgive? Now, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not telling you that it's a, forgiveness is a one and done thing. I had, I had one thing happen one time, and that experience took me north of a decade to forgive. 
I said to choose it again and again. Oh, there's the emotion again. Okay, I'm choosing to forgive that person again. Okay, I choose it again. I'll forgive them again. You, you, you don't experience the freedom that comes from repentance until you repent. You don't experience the freedom that comes without having to be weighed down by what you think about a person until you forgive. You don't experience it. And so I'm just asking you, I'm just asking to be a doer of the word. Is there anybody you need to forgive? And this is the week to do it. You might, it might not make the situation better for you to go to them and go, you know, I've held this against you for this long and you were a big giant jerk, but I forgive you. And they might not even like, what? I did. That might not be the best course of action, but you might need to write a letter. Dear so-and-so, this happened. I have nurtured hurt and resentment over it. This entire time, I am sorry, and I forgive you. I release you. This is the week to do it. We don't move forward until you do. Let me pray for you and invite you to stand with me where you are. The forgiveness of God. What's beautiful about the grace and goodness of God is that the forgiveness of God is, uh, is not stingy. You know, we're stingy. We're like, oh, if I do, they'll, mm, and then they'll, and then that'll, and God's not stingy. His forgiveness is free to you. You can change your mind at any point. God's like, yes, that's what I wanted. I've been waiting for you to see it. So let me pray for us. Lord, uh, we hear your word to us that we're to be doers of what you say, not just people who can recite chapter and verse. We want to recite chapter and verse, but we want to recite that chapter and verse because we put it into our heart and we know the power of what you've said in our own life and experience, in our own life and experience as a local church body. So God, we repent of the ways that we have been uh, shy of love and of grace and of kindness. We repent, we change, we, we admit we were wrong. And Lord, we forgive anybody who has hurt us. You said that, that you forgive us freely and completely and, and, and that we're to forgive in the way that you have forgiven us. And so out of the well of your forgiveness, God, we, we dip into that well and we receive the resources that we need to offer forgiveness to somebody else. Set us free. We, we don't know until we've forgiven that it was us that was trapped. And so God, set us free as we forgive this week, as we repent, as we come clean. I ask this by the power of your spirit. All God's people who wanted that in their life said, 